0: Welcome back everybody to the Electric Freeze podcast. I'm your host Sean McInerney. Hope you're all doing really, really well. Now this week I'm talking with Ella Galt from the Barcelona Improv Group. Ella was such a wonderful guest to have on the show. She was so interesting about her experiences performing, teaching, you know, moving from Australia into the Barcelona improv scene. But without further ado, here is my chat with Ella Galt. How did you get yeah. into performing uh
1: well since I was a kid I just uh loved I probably just loved the attention to be honest <laughs> didn't we all start off that way somehow yeah no I loved um singing and being on stage I was probably like 12 when I did my first like school musical and just thought it was the best thing ever and so then um I did like singing and music lessons all through school and I just took all the drama classes all through like the final um high school diploma years um took yeah music and performance and drama and theater and stuff like that and then after I did a Bachelor of Arts at uni majoring in um, drama and theater studies so just loved always the the fun of the stage and the camaraderie and the experience of kind of like crafting a show and putting putting on a show for people really
0: got you got and did you study in Melbourne or where did you study in Australia yes Ah, Yeah, in
1: Melbourne, Australia. Yeah, at Monash University in Melbourne. So, yeah.
0: Oh, cool. And did you get into improv at university or did that come after?
1: I did not. I I did um, improv uh, in high school. Once a year Our high school, used to do like a little sort of theatre sports uh, night and they'd kind of, you'd go to four rehearsals and then we'd do this little show. Um, and I, at the time I thought that was like the best thing I'd ever seen, but then I never heard of it again. You know, once I kind of went to uni, like it never came up on my radar again. And I never really thought of it until I moved to Barcelona and, um, I was doing a musical here with a amateur English theater company because there is a bit of a, uh, English theater circuit here. So I was doing a little show with them and some people were like, Hey, why don't you come and hang out with us? We're doing this improv thing. And uh, I was like, mm, no, i really rather focus on serious drama and uh, <laughs> you know, musicals <laughs> and things like that. Um, but they were having so much fun and uh, it looked really cool. I remember I went and saw one of their shows and they did a long form. They just started doing a Harold and I just thought it was the best thing I'd ever seen. And so then I straight away was like into it uh, and joined their group pretty quickly after that.
0: Amazing. I've never heard of anyone getting into improv through peer pressure before.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. What what are you talking about? Improv is all peer pressure. If you're starting an improv school, you need to know this.
0: (laughs) You just got to bully people until they get into it. Got it. Okay.
1: Well, no, but like to give you an example, um, you know, we have a student showcase at the end of every term here. And like people invite their friends to come along and see them. And often there are people who've never been on stage before. So their friends like, oh, you know, this is weird. Like, let's go and see Stephanie in her show and see what it's all about. And the friends are always just like, can't believe that they've seen their friend in this new environment up on stage, like just killing it, doing this super scary thing. And sometimes, like, they'll even say to you, like, I could never do that. I could never do that. And then they come to the next student show, the next term, and they're like, oh, what do you think? Is it, could I, maybe? And, like, sometimes it really takes a year of their friend just being like, do it. It's for you. It's definitely for you. You can, you can, you can. And then they crumble and then they come along to foundations and, of course, they love it. And then they pass on the torch and pressure their own friends. So it's a constant constant link of people, you know, trying to bully their friends into joining this new club.
0: <laughs> it's very true. I never looked at it that way before, but that's very yeah. true. And so your friends are learning long form uh, in in Melbourne, I'm assuming, is this is this still all in Melbourne?
1: No, no, this is in Barcelona. This is when no. I arrived here, yeah.
0: Oh, so sorry, uh, you said your friends were doing long form improv, you saw them perform and then you yeah. got into it and that was yeah, in Barcelona. That
1: was, yeah, that was when I arrived here. So I came here ah. when I was 22. And um, yeah, I was just kind of like looking to see what was on, like who was around the city. And uh, I didn't have any English speaking friends for the first year that I lived here, which was quite an intentional choice. But after that I was sort of like, oh, maybe there is a theater scene. Maybe there's something going on here. I'll have a look. And sure enough, there's kind of this pocket of people creating stuff. And uh, yeah, the group was pretty newly formed and still kind of like figuring things out and, um, yeah, that's when I saw my first improv long form show. Wow!
0: And who were they training with? What, like, was there a school they were going to, or were they just doing it themselves? No,
1: no, they were training themselves. They had um, people from the UK and also from the US who'd like studied improv and taught improv and uh, worked in it more there. And they were, and then everyone else was kind of like either actors or uh, stand-up comedy people. Um, and they were kind of like, yeah, self-led and figuring it out in a basement as as usually happens. I don't know why it always has to be a windowless <laughs> room, but it it always is a windowless room. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this just screams improv, doesn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah. And then that group evolves, like at one point we had, I think, about 13 people. Um, but Barcelona is quite a, a transient city uh, in that people come and sort of have their their time here maybe a year maybe five years uh maybe 10 if you're like me (laughs) you stick around (laughs) long enough but um yeah because of that we've we had people joining and leaving and saying saying farewell and moving away and and uh and so now we're we just actually added four new cast members and we're back up to seven which is the largest we've been in several years
0: Wow! So you're down to three at one point.
1: Yeah, thank you, thank you, COVID nineteen. <laughs> when when global pandemics hit, people go like, okay, do, is this where I want to be living? And um, thing you know, things happen. People move away. So that was our. We kind of were in a bit in hibernation last year too because uh, we weren't super keen on um, going into the online sphere. So we all kind of took a little break. And um, fortunately, now in Barcelona. You can have uh, theaters open to half, like 50% capacity if the audience are wearing masks and you know spaced apart and things like that. So we've been fortunate enough to be able to be rehearsing back in person um, and kind of once a month doing a show, which feels crazy and awesome. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Amazing. So just to go back, so you, you you see your friends do long form, you see them do a Harold, mm. and then you say, look, I want to get into this as well. And you started rehearsing together. And were you basing it off uh, like any books or was it purely off the classes you did with people from the UK and the US?
1: Yeah, we weren't doing classes at that at that point. We were just um, uh, the people who'd done improv before were bringing in exercises and formats that they'd done in the past. Um, we started getting in some coaches. Um from, from who were visiting, you know, like at one point, I think one of the first people we had come in was um, Will Luera, uh and who was with um, uh, Big Bang at the time, although was that the what they were called? And uh, that was something real that I really remember that first workshop with him that he started talking to us about emotion uh, and playing from emotion. And, and I think that's something that really pushed the team in a direction that we really stayed on that track for quite a while after that. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, we had some pretty great uh, coaches come in over the years. And, um, and after that, we all started going to uh, international festivals and things like that too and kind of expanding our European network. So we've never uh, been kind of for want of, of outside influences and coaching and um, inspiration from outside the group.
0: Well, and how would you describe your style then? Because obviously you, you haven't formally trained at any particular school of improv. So you kind of a bit more versatile mm-hmm. in that sense. So how would you describe your, the, your form of play?
1: Yeah, it's pretty eclectic because that's uh, who the people in the group were at that time and still are really. So at one point, like we had people from the UK, Australia, South Africa, Uh, and the US um, and we also had um, you know professional actors who were learning improv and then we had comedians who were learning improv and then we had improvisers who were learning how to kind of be more authentic in their acting and things like this so um, I think from pretty on we had a pretty kind of bold and emotional style of play but it, the, I mean, it's always been very defined by who was in the group at the time. And as I said, because that changed a lot, I think our style changed a lot as well. We, we started with a lot of um, comedic sort of short form stuff and pretty quickly identified, I think, that we didn't want to go for any cheap laughs and that we were all really interested in exploring something more substantial and sort of wanted to work towards those storytelling skills and acting skills and of taking the audience on a bit of a journey so I think what's defined us at least sort of for the last um five years probably is that we try and do some shows with heart and with some kind of uh, not necessarily a message but some intention behind them definitely Um, and in terms of formats we still jump around a lot being a kind of um, an international community We're performing in a language that's not the language of the city or the country that we live in. So we're often in a position where we're teaching our audience what improv is. We now have a really established following of people who are coming back monthly to all our shows, but there's still people coming along going, what is this thing? So um, we still do a bit of short form. Uh, Usually we'll do like the first half of a show. We'll do a short form set because we just find that it's it's so accessible to people, mm. and they really they really love it, and um, we love giving it to them, and having that kind of interactive play between the players and the audience is really nice. Um, but we also share the directorial uh, role and the artistic director role through the cast members. So each month, one of us will. Lead all the rehearsals and decide on kind of what format we're going to do and if there's going to be a theme or uh, if there's going to be an MC and you know what kind of suggestions we want to get and things like that. So we we're a bit uh, shapeshifters, but I think right now we're looking to with this new group um, probably lock down some more original formats and um, establish a little bit better um, kind of a repertoire that we can that we can lean on.
0: Oh, fantastic. So you're very self-sufficient in that sense then. You know, you kind of work as one and, you know, like you say, you're alternating artistic direction. Um, what about yourself then? What do you focus on as art- when you're an artistic director?
1: Um, oh, uh, whatever we feel like, really. <laughs> Probably <laughs> whatever's whatever's missing, you know. I think it's kind of like a constant um, uh, balancing and unbalancing where we we go down one rabbit hole and we'll follow that. And then we'll be like, oh, I'm sick of that. Let's go back this other way, you know. So, like, uh, I'd say recently we've been on quite a, you know, quite a free form space. So we do um, some free forums uh, kind of montage sets and um, things like the living room and things that are kind of a bit free and fancy. And I mm. think after being on that stint for a little while, we're all kind of craving something a bit Uh, maybe richer in terms of narrative or even genre or something like that. So what we're working on now might be a little bit more character based, for example, but we've lent that way heavily in the past. And then, you know, always come out of a few months doing that going like, Oh, let's play again. So uh, (laughs) I think it's like a constant, a constant back and forth. And um, uh, a few years ago I developed a duo with a friend of mine that was kind of very, um, reality-based, like quite grounded sort of uh, real-to-life improv. And that, too, was probably a bit of a... Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know why I should be surprised that you have that name, but you've obviously (laughs) done a little homework, so (laughs) it's not that famous. Um, But, you know, that for me was a bit of an antidote to um, something that I wasn't getting with Big, And that's not to say that big should have been that thing or that I would have wanted it to be that thing. Um, It's always nice to have different projects that kind of fulfill different needs. And um, I I think I'm a very greedy improviser in that I don't want to commit to one specific format or one specific genre because I want to have it all and play it all.
0: (laughs) And how do you find performing in a long-form team compared to doing 2Prov? I mean, what do you get from both?
1: Um, I mean, 2Prov has been a a great thing. I think a lot of people end up doing that as sort of a default because it's easy to travel with two people and the formats can be a bit simpler and more portable. Um, But it's been great for me because... um, you've just got that constant challenge of like, you're always on stage. There's no time to stop and think there's no kind of moment to consider things from the outside because you're in it the entire time. So I really love like the presence that, that um, duo uh, offered. Whereas I think when I'm playing with the group, I definitely have more of a director's mindset. So Uh, I spend quite a lot of time off stage, but that time is often like looking for what story hole needs filling or, you know, what needs heightening or, or what can be brought back around. So they're just different, um, different states of mind and I enjoy them both a lot, but yeah, that's definitely what I got out of the duo show. I think.
0: Ah, fair enough. And where did the name come from? Origami Swan. (laughs)
1: Uh, that's a, that's actually a good story it, 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 um, in, that it's, in that it's relatively meaningless. <laughs> um, but so uh, Dan and I were invited both to teach at a uh, festival in Poland and all the teachers in the festival were invited to make duos. They kind of just put us together and we said, yeah. They, they said, well, will you do a duo with Dan? And I was like, oh, yeah. I mean, I think we'd only been on stage a couple of times before, um, in a mixer show. We, we, had been friends for a while, but we hadn't really performed together very much. And I was like, Oh yeah, that sounds really fun. That'd be great. And then they said, okay, well the audience is submitting the names for the duos. So you have to pick a name from this list. Um, and they were all translated from Polish. So there was a lot of things too that were like, I'm sure that's funny in Polish because there was a bit of wordplay," but when you translated it to English, it was like, you know, uh, the donkey's glasses or something and the Polish people were like laughing hilariously and I was like okay I don't get that. So, (laughs) One of the names was Origami Swan uh, and I guess we thought that that was the least bad one (laughs) so we took that and we were supposed to make a brand new um, format based on the name that we chose Um, and I know that you know obviously nothing is new under the sun but what we had decided was that kind of the folds of the paper and the different ways that the paper could be folded inspired us to think about um, kind of a multiverse show where we explored different possibilities of what did and didn't happen and things like that. So we ended up um, developing this little 20-minute show uh, where we took the first line of dialogue from the audience and then we explored kind of all the ways, all the different ways that scene um, could have panned out. And then when we developed it further, yeah, it was very fun because obviously there's plenty of uh, repetition and um, it features like one of my one of my favorite things, which is where, you know, the players or the actors uh, have this wealth of knowledge that they know of what the scenes have of what scenes have come before, of what's been said and done but the but the characters don't know that that's happened so this is just, really nice a lot of kind of winks to the audience where you go yes i realize this is the fourth time that i'm saying this but my character doesn't know that so um yeah and then when we decided to after that we took it to the Würzburg festival and we there i think we had we had a, an hour long set i think there so we developed into into a second a second part where um, kind of all of the consequences of those different versions of the same scene um, played out in different orders. And, uh, yeah, that so that's so where hard. the origami swan came from. <laughs> uh, oh, no, it wasn't song. hard. It was, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just like the classic um, improv uh philosophy, right, of like – something from nothing like the, the name is literally meaningless but from that we we came up with this idea and developed this whole thing that we've enjoyed so much but um yeah what I love about what I loved about that show is the uh, just like any anything can happen so it had a free-form energy to it in that we could follow it wherever we wanted it to go um but seeing these same two characters on stage for the whole show kind of made it a bit a bit more real and um, and grounded and you know it was about a relationship so that's something that I I sense there's a bit of a hunger for in the improv community at least improvisers going to watch shows like to see you know love and like to see um, acting and things like that so that was really really special as well.
0: That hour one you did though must have been really tough because you're obviously trying to you know change and commit at the same time for each, uh, you know, version of the outcome. Yeah. Then, then trying to keep track of all that to, in order to do the repercussions of it in the second half, that must've been so tricky.
1: Well, I think if you lay it out all on paper, it's tricky. Um, like if I was turning that into a movie, I would definitely, the writer's room would be a disaster. And, you know, (laughs) whenever you enter into time travel and things like that, it's like stop contradicting yourself. No, we can't do that because this happened. But um, I think the nature of it in this case is like, you know, sometimes the audience would say to us like, well, which one was the real story? And we would just say like, well, all of it and also none of it, you know, like it all happened, but also none of it happened. And that doesn't really matter. So there wasn't much pressure to kind of keep track of what had been said because, you know, any of those outcomes could have come from any of those beginnings, and any of them could have been real or not real or imagined. So it was—it was more freeing than. Um then then scary
0: <laughs> fair enough i suppose if you're being militant with it like we have to say the same things that were said in the corresponding scene kind of takes away from the improv yeah. a little bit
1: <laughs> yeah no 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 just enough structure um, not too much
0: for sure love it and uh, you've mentioned as you said like you've performed at quite a few improv festivals how have you found that experience performing in different countries and different cities
1: oh just amazing yeah it's the best um Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't really know how much I loved improv until I did that. I think, because you get all the nerd talk, (laughs) but you also get the friendships. And I think like, honestly, for me, that's where improv has existed in its purest form for me, because, you know, we're not, um, we're not a super popular art format in that, like, people might go to the movies every weekend and then they talk about movies. And when you have friends over for dinner, you'll talk about movies you've seen and maybe the plot or the characters or the actors or whatever. And, and we just don't exist in that sphere. So going to a festival is it's like pretending that improv is as big as movies or as big as music, (laughs) because for those, for that week, it is, you know, you, you're having breakfast with people and you're chatting about the shows you saw last night. And then you're going to workshops and swapping notes and learning things and, um, just, yeah, sharing that and, and going to see a a night's entertainment with four different improv shows in one night. And like, that just doesn't happen in your regular life. So, um, it's been amazing. And there's definitely like the post, uh, the post festival blues, which is (laughs) that real thing where you go like, Oh crap. You know, in reality, I only get to perform once or twice a month back, back home. But, um, when you calculate all those great improv hours spent at the festival, like it really makes a huge difference.
0: I think. I bet. Yeah. And what about audiences? Did you ever find like different cultures, audiences responded to different things?
1: Um, Yeah. I mean, I think usually at festivals, the audience is largely made up of improvisers and they're oh. usually international. So you get that, you get an amazingly warm reception at a festival, you know, there's, People just want to love the show, and uh, and then when they love it, they just you know you get standing ovations at festivals, which doesn't happen Why? anywhere else. Um, but so you yeah, like a rock and star after it. <laughs> I mean, and when you're in the audience too, you know, at a festival and you're seeing people perform, it's just like people are doing their best at the top of their game and um, and packing out a venue that you wouldn't be able to do otherwise, you know. So. We, we've been performing at a festival in a in a 300-seat theatre when, you know, normally our regular shows back home is like a 90-seat theatre. So that's a special, you get a bigger stage and better lights and, you know, you get music and you get all these wonderful things at a festival. So um, I haven't found that. I think when, when I travel to a country or I hear from improvisers who do come from a more... Um, do come from an improv environment where people are like all speaking the same language or all share the same culture, then you can definitely see how that's influenced their style of improv and also what they've trained their audiences to enjoy. But um, because our cast is, is mixed in that way and our student base here is hugely diverse in that way, um, we're kind of used to having people with different cultural references, different senses of humour all collaborating and working together. So, um, there's almost, there's no time to generalize and there's also no point because in my, you know, beginner's improv class, I've got people from 12 different nationalities, uh, who speak, you know, eight, eight different languages and they're all there, do they're doing it in English, but there's no point kind of analyzing their cultural references or their humor or anything like that because they just, they're going to speak this communal improv language now. And they'll bring themselves to that and make what they're going to make out of it.
0: The, the way I first became aware of Barcelona Improv Group was online. Uh, I noticed you guys do a lot of videos online. It's almost like sketches and little improv scenes. Was that a conscious thing to kind of get your name about? Or is that just something you just like doing for fun?
1: Oh, where, where are you following us? Like on, on, on social media or?
0: Yeah, like on Facebook and Instagram. Like you guys pop up every now yeah. and then. And stuff.
1: Okay. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, we started, I mean, we have done all our promotional stuff ourselves for the most part. So it's kind of just like, who's got the energy or the idea to make a little video or to do something like that. Um, I started running the Instagram account a few years ago, and I have found that to be a great way to connect with people internationally, um, and share generally kind of what, who we are and what we're up to. Um, which is, you know, nice for people to drop in on. And I really think that improv communities are usually modeling after someone or modeling after, you know, the best practices that they've seen elsewhere. We've definitely done that with other theaters that we've met, talked to, you know, heard about what their problems are and, and been inspired by what they're getting right. So, um, I like to try and think that we, we can share that outwards with people a little bit, but, uh, videos and little sketches, anything like that that we do is probably more for our local audience, who, as I said before, we're sometimes trying to teach them what improv is because there's quite a big stand up scene here. Um, and people do go to the theater a little bit here. Um, but so, yeah, we need to kind of grab those people's attention and say, hey, if you like laughing in a room full of people, you might like this. <laughs> and I sort of don't know how, how to be subtle about that.
0: <laughs> just dr- drill it into them and then eventually they'll keep going.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Again, with the peer pressure, just come like, here <laughs> and you will enjoy.
0: <laughs> There's a theme emerging. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And
1: so People don't know what's good for them, you know. You've got to tell them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned theatres that kind of inspired you. Was there any one in particular that you kind of modelled yourself after?
1: Yeah, I think in the early days, um, when we first started holding our own international festival here, um, some a group that we connected a lot with uh, was the May Days. Oh, and great. I think they, whether they're aware of it or not, have definitely kind of served a little bit as uh, of as mentors to us. And I think um, we saw them as a group who, who kind of had the same values as us, and also were just such a long-standing group um, that you know several times when we had problems come up in our cast, as problems always do over the years, um, being able to turn to to a group had who'd already been together for so long and who'd overcome similar things and they say to you oh yeah that's totally normal that happens every two years you know there's a big there's a big fight or mediation is required or like you know it's growing pains or this or it's that and um, I just remember that being super reassuring at the time because I think a lot of improv groups feel like well why why can't we get it right you know like why are we disagreeing or why is this so hard or like why aren't I always happy all the time? And <laughs> it it really is a, a relationship, what you have with your group uh, in the long run, you know, yeah. and um, like the communication that's required or maybe the therapy that's required mm-hmm. or, you know, the level of empathy and all of those things uh, is like a long-term relationship. So um, it was great to have, you know, uh, a, a group there who, who took the time to kind of mm, talk to us about that and 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 inspire us just by by that proximity?
0: Oh wow, that's fantastic! Yeah, well, the Maydays are obviously <laughs> a very well-known UK group. Uh, was there anyone in particular yeah. in the Maydays that was kind of a mentor to you?
1: Well, we had um, Heather Urquhart and Joe Samuel over quite a few times for the festival, doing their. Um, musical improv stuff uh, because Joe was also the accompanist for the festival a lot of the time. So um, they were, they were two people um, who we saw a lot of. And then in recent years, I think um, Kay shooting and, and Chris Mead, who of course now have gone on to start their, the improv place uh, online community and all these kind of things. They they just seem to be people who are reaching out to make networks, to make connections and, kind of make the improv sphere better not only in their own communities and their own groups but you know in Europe and in the world so um, it wasn't hard to to find that inspirational because they seemed very accessible to this little improv group in Barcelona at the time so yeah we'll we'll always be grateful for that.
0: Ah amazing and when did you get into teaching yourself? Um
1: I don't no, pretty soon after. To be honest, I've always uh, kind of been a teacher. I think I was I was teaching when I was 17 um, after-school drama games to young kids um, back in Australia as like an after-school program. And then I've often worked with children since then um, and I taught English overseas and so teaching something that kind of I already had. Ah. So as soon as I felt like I had a good grasp on on the skills and, um, you know, I was super, super keen to, to get teaching and to get sharing them. And I just took to it with so much enthusiasm and I, I still love it so much. So, um, yeah, I mean, and that's a bigger part, like, like most people who work in improv, that's probably a bigger part of what I do now, uh, is the, you know, in terms of hours per week, um, is the teaching, but it's definitely made me a better improviser as well, because, you can't uh, you can't impart anything without drilling it into yourself over and over and over as well.
0: Yeah, and you don't want to look like a fraud preaching one thing and then not doing any of it when you get on stage.
1: Yeah, no. You get those nights when you're like, oh, there's a lot of students in the in the, in the audience that better make sure I get my object work in or something, something totally arbitrary.
0: Come on, Ella, break out the A game.
1: Yeah, my favourite is when they come up to you and they're like, "I loved it when you did this," which like went totally. It broke broke all the rules that you kind of taught us that day and I was like well yes rules are more like tools really you can choose when to use them you know (laughs) but um yeah that's my favorite those kind of observations where where they go oh so it's not really about um this no definitely yeah (laughs) it's whatever you want it to be
0: I remember a teacher in London told me I think it might have been Paul Foxcraft and he said he was doing a show once and he um like indicated like a sign at the back of the stage or something and someone in the audience like was a student just whispered scene painting
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes and he tried uh, so hard to like, ignore it <laughs> i want to give them like a bingo sheet you know so like they t- see how many things you can cross off your list did you see this did you see that
0: yeah Love it. And what do you Lights. focus on as a teacher? Is there anything like that you really tr- avidly try to enforce or like to bring out in the students?
1: Yeah, that's really changed too for me um, over the years. I think I definitely have changed my mentality around kind of like uh, rules or steps or ingredients for a good scene um, in that kind of everything I teach now, I say you know, take it or leave it. If it's useful for you, you, use it. If it's not useful for you, then get rid of it. Um, If it's difficult for you, then maybe that's just a muscle that needs strengthening. So try and work on it and see if it becomes useful Uh, because sometimes we want to throw away the things that we're not immediately good at. But I've definitely kind of embraced more that philosophy of of people compiling their own sort of toolkit. Um, And apart from that, I think... Especially coming from a theatre background, I really am passionate about stuff happening on stage and people having feelings about it. Um, so I'm not, I'm not really one for a banter that's about nothing or scenes that go nowhere. I, I love seeing people change on stage, and I and I think that's a, a really good shortcut for a lot of students, especially when they're beginners to just kind of like have an emotion, have an emotional reaction to something, decide how they feel about something and then kind of follow that through and take see where it takes them. Um, Because, yeah, we I think as in life, especially as adults, we kind of tend to build to a certain point and then there's sort of a plateau there and we just kind of stop there. And that can happen even within a three-minute improv scene. So I'm usually telling someone to push through that and like see how far they can follow it and how much they can heighten whatever it is they're thinking about or talking about or whatever it is they're feeling and and see where it takes them if they break out on the other side of it.
0: Got you. So it kind of goes back to what you said about yourself, like uh, the teacher you had that really emphasized emotion and the impact that had on you. It sounds like you're trying to bring that out in your students.
1: Yeah, I think at the time I was like, oh yeah, that's what, theater is about (laughs) it's about (laughs) humans feeling stuff um and that reminder is like (laughs) puts that that question in in your mind of like why am I watching this you know what why of all the places people could be of all the things they could be doing why should they watch your show what are you doing on stage that's worth their time and I don't mean that in a critical way at all I I really mean it as sort of like what do you feel who, or who are you? What, who, what do you want to share with them? You know, and, and every student, even if they're just in their first course is a unique person they have something to say and they have feelings and often they have amazing life experiences and, and things that they can share. Um, and the audience wants to see that, you know, they don't really want to see you stalling and making gags. They want to like connect and, um, and you can still do that through comedy, you know. It's not to say this is all very deep and emotional, but um, playing it from a, a real place that people can connect to. I think I definitely saw that. Yeah, as kind of a, a, a shortcut way to kind of like the guts of what it's actually about.
0: Yeah, I mean, for for me personally, uh, once I have my point of view, it's it's a lot easier to react to everything and uh, you know how that character feels about everything because you've got that lens in which you're looking through the world. And I totally agree with you about reaction. I mean, any good comedy show or any good comedy film, like half the time the humor arrives from how the other character reacts to the stuff that's happening. And I think that's so easily forgotten in improv. I think everybody's too busy thinking about what they need to say next or what the game of the scene is. Yes.
1: Yeah, exactly. And one of my big things that I'm always hopping on about is that kind of like you can react to everything and you can choose for that to be um shocking surprising big hilarious uh or you can choose for it to be insignificant you know and if, if someone just like um hands you a glass of wine that can be just like oh yeah thanks or it could be the first time that they've ever done this gesture and it completely knocks you sideways to receive that glass so that's like a a very heightened example, but I think it bleeds into little offers that are being made constantly in a scene in that, you know, you decide whether it's a good offer or not when you receive it and you, you react accordingly. So I like overreacting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what? You just reminded me, I saw a show once it was a two prov. Um, I think it was in Chicago and it was a man and a woman. And uh, they sat down at the top of the, the show and the man addressed the woman and said, uh, well, Veronica, as you know, we're, we're, we're doing layoffs at the moment. And the woman just immediately just went, ah, fuck. <laughs> and, the, <laughs> yeah. and the room just went wild. And then once it calmed down, he goes, no, 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 we're, we're not letting you go. And she just, she paused for a second and went, why? <laughs> yeah. And the room loved it because it was so unexpected and it was such... Such an overreaction yeah. of the character, but it was just so good, and like his reaction to it was perfect because he played it so straight and so grounded. For yeah. her character was so yeah, ridiculous yeah. that it worked perfectly. So I, like I, yeah. to- I totally understand what you mean. And um,
1: yeah, because the the other scene that that could have been is like we're doing layoffs, as you know, we're doing layoffs. Yeah, I know, I heard you know like, yeah. oh okay so that wasn't interesting or special or surprising cool 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 like let's keep trying to find something yeah
0: let's just keep peddling this shit for next like 10 minutes yeah to
1: well it's like that it's searching right it's like searching 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 and it's like you've got so many good options there yeah, yeah. you just got to believe that it's a good option
0: yeah but if you're being really really present and you're listening and you're in the moment like you'll you'll use up all those offers and nothing will kind of pass yeah. you by you know but, um, yeah, and what advice would you give to up-and-coming improvisers then, like anybody starting out or kind of early days in improv?
1: I think be bold and do do what you want to want, do what you want to do, and do what makes you happy. I think um, we're we're pretty lucky in Europe in that there's such an amalgamation of styles and teachings, and um, that that people can more freely, pick and choose. But I think especially in places where there are sort of big institutions, there's a lot of pressure to sort of feel like you've got to fit a mould or get good enough at one school or one theatre to kind of work your way to the top. Um, but I sometimes worry that that ends up in in players who are just versions of the players that already exist and the styles that already exist. So I love seeing people doing ridiculous new formats or playing in a way that's just unusual and authentically them Mm. um, or a group who's kind of like defying the rules but it just somehow works because it because it is true to who they are you know so (laughs) I think everything's been done and that is both you know depressing and liberating because once you realize that it's all been done you can kind of be like great so what do I want to play you know
0: (laughs) (laughs) absolutely absolutely I love that and how do you prepare for shows? Do you have a routine before you go on stage or anything?
1: Oh, no, it depends a lot on, on the show and I think where people are coming from. With a with a group, it's a bit more important to sort of like check in, see where everyone's at. Um, sometimes we like do a proper warm-up and we like do games in a circle and, you know, try and get some rhythm or energy happening. Um, but sometimes we, we'll just also like chat and just be together. Um, the other night we did a show and we spent – 30 minutes just trying not to get uh, have lights fall on us because the technician <laughs> was late and was setting up the lights on the stage while we were warming up. Um,
0: <laughs> it's always a lovely way to start off a show.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, I mean, with uh, with Dan Seyfried, with my duo partner, we just hang out backstage and we just chat, really. I think um, the most important thing is to feel that you trust the people you're about to go on with. So the most hectic moments are probably, you know, mixer teams and things like that at festivals where there's like 14 people who just met and (laughs) a lot of nervous energy whizzing around. Um, But I would say the more nervous I am before a show, the better the show usually is. So I, I try to sort of lean into and embrace that energy because if I'm feeling a bit like tired and like, yeah, let's turn another one of these out. Then I've got to sort of wake myself up on stage. Whereas that nervous energy usually like, usually has some pretty ridiculous choices or (laughs) pretty bold moves (laughs) happening uh, near the top of the show.
0: Oh yeah, Big time, big time. Um, I, I feel like that's a really good instinct to have though. You know, if you are nervous or if things aren't going well to lean into it, I think that's such a good muscle to develop because it's so easy, you know, when you're on stage and you've just done a scene and it's absolutely bombed, to kind of lean back mm-hmm. and to you know stay on the wings and let everybody else kind of take over. But mm-hmm. you know, if you really double down on that, that, that really develops you as a performer. I think.
1: Yeah my my instinct, my default reaction, like my my uh, flight or or fight, for example, uh, is definitely overcommit. So the, you know the shows where I've ended up like you know jumping into the audience or rolling on the stage or turning into some kind of ridiculous monster are usually like yeah a scene doesn't go so well and so like oh watch out what the what the hell is Ella gonna do <laughs> in this in this moment but I think um, you're right in that all of those instincts usually come from that that fear response when something's not going super well or you know you're not feeling really present or it's just not turning out how you want, um, that some people lean back and some people lean forward. But I don't think that there's any kind of uh, judgment call on either of those being uh, inherently kind of more more or less brave because for me it comes from the same sort of fear response. (laughs) But instead of, like, leaning out, I run into fight. But it's not because, like, I'm just like super awesome and know what to do next. It's just because I, uh, that's my default. Like I'm afraid I'm going to do something ridiculous.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Love that. that. And what was your worst show experience and what did you learn from it?
1: Oh, I actually have a good one for this because I never like to shit on shows. I really have a philosophy of like, don't shit on the show, even if it was bad. But I definitely do have one that um, (laughs) in Barcelona, we have uh, like smokers associations. So like little clubs where you can buy small amounts, legal amounts of weed and people also go there and and smoke. And some of them are quite luxury, like they're kind of lounges and they have a menu you can choose from. And you you have to be a member. You have to be a resident. There's all kind of, you know, uh, red tape. But yeah, that's what they are. And at one point we were kind of like, oh, it would be great to like get a few gigs there because sometimes they have musicians or whatever um, and have that kind of as a regular performance opportunity. So we went to this club and we were like, I mean, if everyone's high, they're just going to be laughing, right? <laughs> like they're, they're going to be just anything we do, they're going to be giggling. It's going to be great. Um, and there weren't many people. There's probably like 10 people in the audience. And the opposite happened in that I think that they were just so stoned that they couldn't respond verbally. Like I think there was a lot obviously going on in their own minds, albeit slowly, but they weren't responding vocally. So we would be doing, you know, we were just throwing ourselves around the stage trying to laugh and like nothing was happening on the outside at all. And every suggestion we wanted to get was just like, can I get a suggestion of an object? A bong. Okay, oh, can I get a suggestion of like something you'd find in the jungle? A weed plant. <laughs> and we were like, oh guys, you're, you're really confirming every negative stereotype here. You're not, you're not helping your cause. And I remember this one moment where the MC said, uh, can I get an example of a job that you hate? And this guy went, any job
0: Oh my God!
1: <laughs> and that's when i thought this is not a great show um <laughs> to be fair but, though, that was
0: more an awful audience as opposed to you guys not performing yeah, at the or anything well like
1: that. i mean when the audience is giving you nothing the, the other ones that we've done that are bad are for um teenagers sometimes we go into schools here and we do a show like as part of their english or their drama program um but they're not native English speakers, so we're kind of going in as like, oh, you know, this English theatre group's gonna come in and do a show. Um, and that's often too, because they're they're trying so hard to understand what's being said. They're just kind of like ten seconds behind you. Um and also I've never felt so old in my life because <laughs> no one no one judges you as hard as a fourteen year old. So that's not that's never fun
0: for me. <laughs> These teens. Yeah, well, everybody hates teenagers, so don't feel bad.
1: (laughs) I mean, even teenagers hate teenagers. So, I mean, I remember what it was like. I remember when the theatre group came, you know, and did the performance and everyone just sat there with their arms crossed like these losers,
0: you know. So now that's
1: me. I'm that loser.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So what did you learn from those two experiences then, the stoner den and the hostile teenagers? Yeah.
1: (laughs) I mean... The really bad ones or even just like the shows that are just not great, not the best, I I think it's so important to have that experience because that all the bad shows have made me a much bolder improviser um, and more fearless, I think, because when you've experienced true – true bombing as you say truly being hung out to dry when you when you've been on stage with someone and they've thrown you under the bus or when you've tried something and it hasn't worked or when the audience just hasn't responded like having your worst fears confirmed on stage like sets a bottom bar which I think is great because it's like okay so that's what that feels like now I'm going to go out and try it again you know and I think if you've never fallen down you're so scared to fall you're just like what if I fall? What if I fall? Got to avoid falling. And for me, the best improv is always fearless. I, I really think that I'm pretty much willing to watch any kind of improv show. As long as I feel that the improvisers are enjoying themselves and aren't um, either throwing each other under the bus or aren't, you know, playing for the cheap laughs or aren't sabotaging each other or, or something out of fear. I'm pretty willing to watch anything where they're having a good time. So I feel like if you're worried about failure and you're kind of on quality control of the show, uh, that's when, when improv stops being improv really and when for me it, it, loses, it loses what it is that I have come to see. So having fallen or having, you know, uh, bombed I think is great because you kind of get comfortable down there and then you go, all right, if that's the worst that can happen, the worst is okay, so I'm going to leave it all out there and, um, and actually improvise, you know.
0: <laughs> I couldn't agree more I love that <laughs> And uh, what's the best show you've ever seen?
1: Oh the best oh I've seen so many great shows and so many different um, so many different ways but I think um, for me one of the things that I loved the most that I saw was um, Big Bang which was will Luera's group that he brought out to um the improv festival one of the first improv festivals that we had and I think a year or two after that um just Dave and Paul came out from that show and they did this duo show and it had all the same energy of the four or five hander that had happened the the years before but with two people and um man oh man like the joy and the love that those two men have for each other and I mean they must have done so it must have just done hundreds and hundreds of shows together but it felt like the first time it felt like this just incredible collision of energy um and it was just delightful and there, are not a second of of fear in that show you know like and they all boy, did they like set each other up, you know, (laughs) so many times they would just like be poking and just, um, you know, seeing how far they could push one another. And it was just one of the most, um, delightful things that I had seen in, in quite a long time. So that sticks out to memory, but I don't know if I can say best. I don't know if I can rank. That's very difficult.
0: Well, it's more one that you know you really, really enjoyed that comes to mind. That's that's more. Accurate. Yeah,
1: I think the shows that you love are the uh, are the shows that kind of embody what you feel your improv is missing or what you want to do. You know, so I've I've definitely seen incredible shows that have blown me away, um, but that were a little bit closer to I felt like what I was already doing or 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 something that I could see the mechanics of how that worked. But I think even as improvisers who've been doing this for years, we still like to be surprised and amazed. And we still like to have that feeling of like, how did they do that? You know, so when you get <laughs> yeah. that experience as an improviser, when you still go, how did they do that? Then I think that's pretty, pretty awesome.
0: <laughs> I totally agree. And Big Bang, where are they based?
1: Um, they were in Boston. I think actually they were called Improv Boston. Ah, Yeah, they were called Improv. They were Improv Boston, I think, the first time they came. And then they were uh, Big Bang the second time they came.
0: Oh, I'll check them out. They sound great. I will
1: also fact check that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And who would you love to improvise with, Ella?
1: Well... Actually, I am going to be improvising with someone this year who I've been wanting to improvise with for a long time.
0: Ooh, who's that?
1: Yes, and that is Stacy Smith, who is currently at Boom Chicago. Oh, my. and we are yeah, we are heading to um, Zurich together, and we are going to do a week long uh, residency show there. That is going to be um, academically studied, would you believe? There are academic studies happening in Zurich about. Check you! uh, (laughs) How's that for validation? I hope I get a certificate.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But honorary um, degree or something at the end of it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, there's someone there with an honorary degree, uh, Daniela Landert. She has an amazing um, project going there. She's got a grant to study. basically like the the dialogue of how improvisers speak or how they write in the moment. And she had a big plan last year to go to the States and see all the major big companies and to record and um, and transcribe and study the language that they were using. But of course, thanks to our friend uh, COVID, she wasn't able to. So now she's bringing some duets there to Zurich to study. And um, she basically gave me... Uh, a blank sheet of paper and said, "Who would you like to do a duo with?" So I asked myself this question, and I got to got to invite Stacy, which I'm very very excited about.
0: Amazing! Ooh. Funnily enough, I uh, spoke with Biddy Kemery from Boom Chicago recently. Okay, and she performs quite a lot with Stacy Smith, so that's a yes. World. And have you seen yes. Stacy perform before, or how, how did she come into your remit?
1: Yes, we um we. Caught at the same festival once or twice once was in sofia i don't know if there was also somewhere else that we were teaching alongside each other and we got to do a couple of um teachers kind of mixer shows where there was, there was sort of like 12 teachers thrown in and we did four four nights of shows together so we've done a couple of scenes together um but definitely not enough so looking forward to rectifying that this year
0: oh well uh, break a leg I hope it all goes well for you uh, when are you doing it
1: I think we're going in October,
0: which seems
1: far enough away that it can be legitimately planned for (laughs) and might actually friggin happen. Um, But I'm also going to be teaching at the um, boom Chicago comedy festival this August. Um, So hopefully we'll get to check in there and um, have a little, have a little, sorry, at the end of July. Um, have a little practice because <laughs> <laughs> improvisers still need to practice, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, a little warm up. I like it. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. And um, is there anything you're doing at the moment that you'd like to promote, Ella? Have you got any shows coming up or any classes or anything like that? Apart from your we, incredible show just, coming up with Stacey.
1: Yeah, we've just um, we've just closed our our term of classes. So we've just started a new 10-week course. So they're going to run us all the way through till um till the summer yeah if anyone's in Barcelona check out our website and come and see us we're doing monthly shows um that would be wonderful uh, and there's another thing coming up which I can just kind of hint at I don't know how much we're allowed to talk about yet but um a friend of mine is starting a an online learning platform for improvisers that is theory based so instead of um live zoom classes you can log in Uh, like you might on one of those um, masterclass kind of courses, but for improv. So I have a course coming up on the Improv Learning Center once that launches. So keep your eyes peeled for that when it happens.
0: Amazing, amazing. Well, Ella, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today. I'm definitely going to try and get over to Barcelona and see you guys uh, live at some point. Um, But best of luck with everything. I hope all the courses and all the shows go well. And uh, break a leg with Stacey in October with your uh, very studious show. (laughs) um,
1: (laughs) I imagine we'll have to wear glasses and academic gowns. I think that's a part of it.
0: (laughs) I love that. What's your two-prop name going to be?
1: Oh, we're still working on it. We've got, we've got a poster image, but um, we've still got to figure out what we feel like doing, which is exciting. Oh,
0: okay. after,
1: after like a year of no improv, you know, someone's like, what do you want to do? And you're like, God, I want to do everything. Okay, let's try and narrow that down a little bit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it.
1: But I think for, the, for what they need, it needs to be something, um, something quite grounded, sort of slice of life style thing is probably what it's going to be
0: okay so that's a long name slice of lifestyle thing
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) just put what it is in the title that seems to sell sell well usually
0: (laughs) love it well Ella thanks again so nice talking with you best luck with everything and uh, be safe in these crazy times
1: yeah you too thanks so much for having me
0: Ah oh, so nice talk with Ella, such a lovely lovely person and a fantastic improviser, I have to check out her shows. Ah oh, so nice talking with her, I'm definitely going to check out the Barcelona scene, next chance I get. I'd love to see some of the shows she does on her 2-prof, but uh, yeah if you can check out the Barcelona improv groups online and uh, obviously try and check out the shows if you're in the area and check out some of their classes as well, they sound fantastic. Craig Kukowski from IO and IO West, So interesting talking to Craig about improv from a teaching perspective, a performing perspective and a directing perspective. So definitely check that out, guys. It was such a great talk. Well, that's it for this week, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Big thank you, as always, to Crowander for the Theme Music Space Fun. And I'll see you next week. Have a good one. Bye.